0: Well, what is up, Substance? Make some noise. Wherever you are at, you made it to church. And you're gonna be so glad you did today. I'm Pastor Peter Haas, and of course, I I wanna start with a very, very, very simple, simple question, and it's right here on the screen. It's this. What would you change if you knew nothing would be impossible for you? What would you change if you knew nothing would be impossible for you, and I just think about it for real, for real. Like, for some of you, you'd be like, "Ooh, I might become one of those health food people." You know, the ones, those people that we hate. You know what I'm saying? Ah. But what, what if the only reason why we hate them is because we we don't feel like we could be like them, right? So they kind of drive us nuts. But what if you could? What if you could be one of those people that just loves prayer, loves reading your Bible, loves working your working out. What if you could be one of those people that that you always just thought were mm, maybe that just they're genetically different? You know what I'm saying? And, and it's okay to acknowledge there are certain people that are naturally better at certain things. But I I just I want to pose that question to you today because I just I believe that all of us have mental barriers. All of us have have and a lot of times we don't even know we have them until we hang out with other people that don't have them, and then all of a sudden we realize, oh. You mean people live differently? Oh, people live better than me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I think a lot of times we settle, we, we think, oh, I'm always going to be overweight, I'm always going to be depressed and broody, or I'll always struggle with fill in the blank. You know what I'm saying? I, I just, we make temporary moments permanent. And I just want to say, hey, no matter where you're at today, I do want to say it is Temporary. No matter how you feel today, I want to remind you, it's temporary. Listen, there are seasons of life, but we, a lot of times, we make temporary seasons permanent. And I, I just, I want to help you break out of some of those mental barriers. And because a lot of times we we live defeated when we should be in party mode. And let me just give you a scripture that puts me into party mode, okay? And it's Philippians 2.13, There's a lot of cool versions of the scripture, but God is at work within you. Come on, right there. That's enough reason to go into party mode. God's at work within you, okay? You are not all there is. Thank God it's not all about me, but God is doing something, okay? So I'm just... I'm letting you know no matter where your relationships are at, no matter where your boss is at, no matter where your spouse is at, no matter where your kids are at, I'm just saying God is at work. That's all you need to know. God is at work within you. And then watch this. Oh, my goodness. Giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. He doesn't merely give you new desires, but he gives you power to actually walk out The desire you've always wanted. So think about that. Desire and power. Now, another translation says to will and to act according to his good purpose. There's a destiny that he's called you to fulfill, a purpose that he has for your life. And not only is he going to give you the desire to fulfill that purpose, but he's going to give you the power to do it. Think about that. I mean, man, that verse has the ability to change everything for you. And whether that issue that you struggle with is working out, eating healthy, forgiving someone, uh, you know, stopping a habit, starting a habit, you know what I'm saying? The question is not, does God have a plan? The question is, do you know what that plan is and do you know how to stay in sync with God's plan? Because if you do, then all of a sudden you're going to experience a joy that does not make sense, a peace that literally transcends your circumstances and your understanding. And that's what I believe God has for you no matter what you're walking through. He has a supernatural peace for you. And so uh, as an example of this, I, I just, and maybe as an example of how easy it is for you and I to get stuck. I remember a couple of years ago, I was speaking at a, a, a men's conference. And of course, you know, at men's conferences, they I was tasked with this idea or with this, you know the the message that the church wanted me to to speak on was all about freedom and areas where we're not free and things that we're allowing to sabotage our lives and so of course at this men's event they I mean they they said go into all the awkward topics Pastor Peter and, and I'm like when you tell me to get into the awkward topics oh man. I'll take it to I'll take it there. I mean, we went there, right? I mean, we talked about alcohol. We talked about debt. We talked about masturbation. We talked about porn. We talked about everything awkward that can be a short circuit in a person's life. And of course, you know, uh, one of those things. It, I. I, I always like to say, I always like to hit awkward topics with a little humor. Those of you who've been here a while, you have to have a sense of humor, or I will offend you very quickly, but I, I just, and I know that from experience, but I, I just, you know, I, I, I like to cover things with humor, and I also love to be merciful. I think you can oppress people with truth, but I also think you can uplift people with truth, and, and so I've always tried to, to share messages in an uplifting way rather than an oppressive way. And of course, but, but even still, I'll still, you know, sometimes rub people the wrong way. And there was this guy who I could tell he was angry. And, and the moment I finished, he stormed up to me. And he's like, Pastor, Pastor, I need to talk to you. I hate to tell you this, but you know what? You are dead wrong. You are completely wrong. And what you just did there just oppressed everybody in this room. And I was like, Awesome let's talk. You know, like, I'm like, I, 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 you know, I did what I always do, and I asked follow-up questions. Well, unpack that. Like, what do you mean? And he's like, Pastor, what you just told us is not even possible, and it's not even realistic. It is not possible for a man to, to live free of pornography. It's not even possible. In fact, you even saying that, all you did was just, literally just Cast judgment upon everybody in this room. You, you set up a boundary that every last one of us is gonna fail. And, and that's not good. It's actually what you just, your message is actually destructive and reckless. And of course, it was almost intense, this conversation. I was like, man, like, and so I, I just what I'll usually do in moments like that is I just prayed. I'm like, God, give me wisdom, give me insight. Like, because this guy's emotion is coming from a place of pain. Lord, speak to me about this man's place of pain and, and give me a key that can unlock it. And you know what? In this, it was like almost out of nowhere, this download from the Lord was, it was just very clear. And it was Peter, listen, if a person does not believe change is possible, they will interpret your freedom as judgment. Let me just, let me, let me just put that on the screen here so that you can absorb this if people don't believe change is possible or or let me rephrase that if god's power is real if they don't actually believe in god's power is real or that change is possible they will interpret our freedom as judgment Now it's critical you understand this because if you ever endeavor to live free, there will be people that will be upset at you, which sounds counterintuitive, but you got to understand the process of freedom to certain people will be interpreted as actual critique, even when you aren't critiquing them. And and I, I can think of a million examples of this, but the pursuit of freedom will always be misinterpreted. And so, and I, I could immediately tell that this guy who was confronting me, I mean, he almost had disgust because in his mind, again, he kept asking me almost like, you're lying to me, like you're not even being an authentic. He's like, so you're telling me, Pastor Peter, that you literally go an entire year without getting drunk. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I do. You know, like this conversation's kind of tempting me to go get drunk, but I'm just, <laughs> I... I do. And he's like, you're telling me that you've literally gone years and you don't struggle with pornography. And I'm like, well, I, I have temptations, but no, I don't actually act on those things. I, I'm totally free. And he, he literally could not register this. And I, I, finally, I, I, I finally just pulled him aside and I'm like, hey, bro, I know this is hard, but If you knew me before I was a Christian, and I just told them everything. I mean, how crazy I was. I I was addicted to drugs. I was addicted to all these things. And so if you knew me, you would know that it is a miracle. But actually, I didn't have the power to overcome these things. Nobody has the power unless they have the Holy Spirit. And I think there's a lot of people that, that are Christians but don't have the Holy Spirit. That's why the Apostle Paul said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed in Acts 19? It was the first question that, that came out of his mouth. I think a lot of people are missing out on the miraculous. And so here, here's, here's really what the guy was struggling with. First off, he had mental barriers about what was possible for himself, what, God, what was possible with God. With God, all things are possible. But with just by yourself, yeah, you do, have, you do have barriers. And so he was stuck. Second thing is he had never really walked through a full process of healing. He had done like a lot of Christians do Or like a lot of people do, who go through addiction recovery time after time, they go through like a 40 or a 50% process of healing and then they drop out somewhere and then after doing it a half a dozen times, they just kind of get fatalistic about their lives and "Ah, I don't, never really saw the process through or three, never really hung out with people who were truly free either. If you walk with the wise, you will grow wise. A companion of fools will suffer harm, Proverbs 13, 20. There's nothing like being around people that are truly, 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 truly free and to to help you set you free but unfortunately a lot of times we're around people that aren't free and so we we start getting fatalistic and then we start thinking I'll always struggle and then all of a sudden we make it a part of our identity I'm just not a health food person fill in the blank whatever it is that you want to fill it in the blank with but and again people without the Holy Spirit these changes are in fact impossible and so Remember, if we're talking to a non-believer, they're doing what they have to do. Again, they don't have the power of freedom that comes through Christ. In fact, even Christ said, I didn't come, Christ didn't come to reform your flesh and you know, just make you into a better person. He actually said you got to die and let me resurrect on the inside of you, Galatians 2:20. You know what I'm saying? That's what that's what baptism is. It's a funeral service followed by a birthday party. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. You again, God actually does want you dead. Okay, the two most powerful beings in the universe, right, we, we, we talk about are the two different beings, the devil and God, both of them want you dead, but this one has a resurrection for you, and that's the difference, okay? And so I, I, it's important you understand, um, I, I share that story about that guy at the men's conference because I think we have a little bit of that guy in all of us, don't we? We have a little bit of that doubt in all of us. And those of, those of you who studied addiction recovery, you know that habit formation takes a bit longer than most people think. It requires a little more planning and diligence than most people realize. In fact, according to a 2010 study, they did, a, they did an extended study on habit formation. They found that a real habit takes a minimum of 66.5 days on average To acquire. So if you're gonna try to start doing a new habit or stop doing a bad habit, it takes a minimum of 66.5 days on average, a little over two months. So if you wanted to acquire a habit, say, let's say, Bible reading, You gotta do it for a minimum, you gotta have a daily accountability plan for at least two months. Or if it's a less frequent, like a once a week habit, then it takes even longer, obviously, because you don't have the frequency working for you, okay? So uh, again, if you don't have a two month accountability plan, it's gonna be really hard. So the process is gonna take that long, right? Now, if you have an addiction, it took you a little while to walk into that addiction, right? Because that addiction, you walked into it sometimes six, even 10 years into that addiction, so guess what? It's gonna take a little while for your brain to neurologically rewire itself, for your habits to all of a sudden, and lifestyle to get an adjustment with the new you, but listen, we're all gonna pay a price no matter what, okay? Here's the bottom line. Pain is not an option. But the type of pain is an option. You can have, again, (laughs) the the, the type of pain, the pain of self-discipline, or you can embrace the pain of regret, okay? You're gonna have pain. The the problem is the pain of regret, regret is a lot more, it costs a lot more, and it's a lot more emotional, and it lingers a lot longer And so I just say, hey, listen, if you have to choose pain no matter what, choose the pain of self-discipline over the pain of regret, especially when Philippians 2.13, God is at work within you to will and to act according to his good purpose. He's got the discipline. He's got the discipline to help you and, in fact, to to help you comprehend the type of discipline that God wants to give you. I want to define three different types of discipline that are actually taught in the New Testament. Once you understand, there's three different Greek words that are all translated discipline and it's easy to really miss the meat of what the Bible actually teaches if you don't know the Greek words here. So I want to define some of these these three Greek words um, and and why they're translated discipline so that you can you, by the end of the day, you're going to be like, I get it. I finally understand how God wants to sanctify me, how he wants to transform me. And and, and these three types of discipline, they build upon each other, like level one, level two, level three. And so note takers, you're going to want to write this down. Level one discipline is a little Greek word called paideia. Paideia. It's the discipline of correction, the discipline of correction. This discipline is generally passively received. It's done to you. It's like a paideia. The best way to explain it is it's a spanking or a speeding ticket. Come on, somebody. You know you don't necessarily like it, but it's beneficial. You need it in your life. Paideia. And of course, Hebrews 12.5 speaks about Paideia, and it's something that every kid goes through with their parents, okay? And let me define it for you. My son, Hebrews 12, 5, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Again, the Greek word, every time you see discipline in this passage, it's the Greek word paideia. And don't lose heart when he rebukes you. Now, why does it say don't lose heart? Because you do. That means the Lord will at some point Give you a little tweaking, a little adjusting, a little um, correcting, and it's easy to lose heart in those seasons. God, where are you? God, do you love me? Actually, yes, I love you, which is why I did it. Okay, now it's hard to see why God does what he does or what, you know, the bigger picture. I'm just going to be honest with you. There's a lot of times in life where you're going to be like, I don't get it. I don't understand why, but again, instead of asking the question why, the Lord always just says, just get in sync and say, for what purpose is this? Okay, don't lose heart, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. It's actually evidence of his love, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. What is a son or a daughter? They're a family member. That means you're an heir to an inheritance, okay? So he's actually setting you up for a greater inheritance, And so God never wastes our pain. He always turns our pain into a bigger blessing. He's always, always, always working a greater good, Romans 8, 28. Okay, so that's why he says, endure hardship as discipline, loving discipline. God is treating you as family, as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. In other words, you won't get an inheritance. Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits, the perfect heavenly Father, and live? That's God's agenda for you, that you'd experience life, okay? Our Father's Disciplined us for a while as they thought best, and God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. He's trying to give you more of his divine nature. No discipline is pleasant at the time, but painful later on. That's what we're living for, church, right there. That those two words. Later on. And you may not be there yet, and it's okay. But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. Listen. If you would simply not abandon your field, the season God has you in, you will eventually have a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Righteousness, what? Well, why righteousness? Because again, God has so many problem or promises for the righteous, and you got to read the scripture verses, the promises about righteousness. But how does it happen? Well, it happens by you and I either receiving paideia, and we can actually avoid paideia if we judge ourselves, okay? So so you don't have to experience paideia if you would judge yourself. It's called a healthy fear of the Lord. You listen to your conscience regularly. You make adjustments in light of that. So because keep in mind, God, if you, don't, if you don't judge yourself, then you put God in an awkward position. God does not want to give you paideia. This is not something that God wants to, but listen, if he has to in order to wake you up and prevent you from a greater evil, then sure, he's going to do it. And as a perfect illustration, the other day I was watching um, fail videos on social media and I thought, oh my goodness, this is like the ultimate, this is the ultimate illustration of what paideia looks like. And I, I just, I saw some of these fail videos and I thought, you know what, some of you, you might be able to relate to some of these and say, you know what, that is a metaphor for my life and so I want you just to learn sit back and glean from these amazing teachers Everybody say, paideia. You know, after the first service, my wife said, did you notice that every one of those video clips were men? (laughs) Seriously, though, I love the guy on the stilts who is like, you know, trying to run on the treadmill. I just, why not try it? You know what I'm saying? Why not? the world is yours, right? I mean, like, come on. Uh, remember, free will does not equal God's will for you, you know? But I, I, again, paideia is when we continually resist God's plan, he's going to allow a little paideia to, to help us. And I realize most of you don't struggle with running on treadmills with stilts, but, you know, it, I think, let's be honest, there are other areas where we, at some point, need to grow beyond it. Like, I it still shocks me how many people live without a budget. It shocks me how many people don't have date nights, how many people allow their kids to rule their lives, how many, you know, just bad habits that people just allow to linger on in their life year after year after year, or just even disciplines that people don't take seriously. Listen, God didn't give you prayer, Bible reading, or even things like tithing to oppress you. In fact, actually what he's trying to do is set you free. He actually wants to get you to the point where you've got disciplines in your life that counteract the the sin nature that God already knows is in you and that ultimately he, he can't trust you with more until you've got the integrity that can sustain the weight of what God wants to give you. And so ultimately, you know, that's why the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, he said, but if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. In other words, it, we don't have to experience paideia. When we are judged by the Lord, we're being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. In other words, he's trying to prevent us from a, a, a greater problem. Well, how do we judge ourselves? Again, you listen to your conscience, you obey it. You, you Or you do practical things. You get into a small group with other godly people that can hold the mirror up to some some of our difficulties and flaws so that they can help us. But a lot of us, we don't want that, that awkward level of intimacy. And and but, but here's the deal. If we are willing to address those things, if we're willing to live intimately with other believers who can hold up that mirror and, and, and help us get the accountability we need, it leads to the second type of discipline that will truly, truly, truly set you free, and that's called gymnasia discipline, okay? Now, some of you are like, uh, I think I know that word. Uh, yeah, you do, because it's the discipline of training, of exercise. In fact, that Greek word is where we get the idea of gymnasiums, right? Where you do exercise. It's it's actively received. You got to embrace it. You got to do something to make it happen. Okay, like exercise. In fact, that's why that word is a lot of times even translated exercise or training. Okay, so for example, uh, right here, train yourself, gymnasia yourself to be godly. You know, you do have to do something. You do, yes, God is at work within you, but you know what? There's still a process where you still have to take a step. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has a value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. If you can deal with godliness, you have to exercise into it, and then it all of a sudden has all these cascading benefits in your life. Here's the good news, okay? Gymnasia training, if you do it consistently and you stick through the full process until you have fully adopted the lifestyle that God has for you, it leads to the third type of discipline, which is right here level 3 is called enkrateia this is again translated discipline but it's also really what krat means power or control so enkrateia means like self mastery to get into a position where you are completely in control of your body soul spirit your emotions your your all the all the things that that afflict Humanity that you can actually get to a point of enkratea, the discipline of complete control, and and you and I want to be here. And listen, God has that for you. If you're wondering if He can get you there, the answer is yes it's just a matter, of, and how do you know you're there? When, when sins or temptations no longer mess with you. Uh, my wife and I used to be chain smokers at one point, and so if we hung out with, you know, people that, you know, after quitting, if we hung out with people that smoked, it'd be like, oh, it was like, oh, we, we, it's like we longed for it. You know, my wife was, I used to call her my little chimney, because she was a, <laughs> a, she was even more addicted. She's like looking at me like, get off the stage peter uh, no but i i just i i we were both addicted actually it was it was a big deal and so we needed to get through a zone where the temp- it was now it's not even a temptation it's not even a it's not even a remote temptation for either of us so it's almost kind of funny i can talk about it like it was a different me But here's where things get profound. Okay, there is a zone in between, in between gymnasia and incratia. There is what I like to call a faith zone. Okay, this is a danger zone. This is a doubting zone. This is a zone where a lot of people quit. Okay, so let me talk about that little zone for a second. How to think in that zone, okay? Let's say God called you to wake up at 5.30 a.m. and read your Bible, okay? And you were nine days into the commitment, and all of a sudden, on day nine, that alarm goes off, and you're like, no, Lord, I can't do it. Some of you were like that this morning, right? Your alarm went off, and you're like, no! You know what I'm saying? And you just know, I don't have any grace Do it okay. Now, that is how it feels when you're entering into the faith zone. I'm just gonna be honest with you, it feels like that. Like most days, I do not like or I do not feel a natural desire to read my Bible. Okay, there's a lot of days where it's not about my feeling, I just gotta start. And the moment I start, then all of a sudden, then the grace kicks in. The grace comes after I start, not before. So, if you're waiting for the grace. It's not going to come, okay? Because that's the whole point of the faith zone is God is intentionally putting us into a position where he wants us to flex. And the moment we activate our faith, where we flex our, then all of a sudden, God's desire and God's power kicks in. Philippians 2.13. So if you're wondering how it works, don't wait for it before you start. You step out first. And then it's like Peter, like when Jesus invited uh, Peter to step out of the boat. There was that first to walk on the water. There was that first step he had to take, and then he had to focus on Jesus. The power was there. So the whole point is, is, is in the faith zone. There's a delay between promise and power, and you gotta exercise that that faith muscle. So remember, uh, we talked about habits in the beginning. How it takes about sixty-six point five days to form a habit. Well, guess what? For some of you, that's how long your faith zone is gonna last. You got to stay, you're in the faith zone for 66 days. Your body hasn't been rewired yet or, or, so you got to, you got to remember your mind is going to get all over the place in that zone, okay? I remember when the first time the Lord called me to tithe for my wife who grew up, you know, uh, she grew up, this was normal for her to to be generous, but like for me, it was like, oh my gosh, 10% of my paycheck, like Lord, really? I remember like I, like that messed with me every day, every minute for like probably two months. Like God, are you sure you're gonna bless the other 90%? Because man, that looks like a lot of money. It was just, it messed with me. I was freaking out. Again, I was in the faith zone during that season. Well, here's what I've learned about every faith zone, every new habit, every new discipline I've ever acquired that, that one of the most important things when you're in that zone is quick and impulsive obedience. That means don't sit and dwell on it. Don't sit around and think about it. So really, here's the secret, okay? The secret to the faith zone is don't think, do. Don't think, do. Now, this is kind of a counterintuitive thing. Some of you are like, wow, that's a quotable from Pastor Peter. Don't You told me to stop thinking. Okay, well, when it comes to obedience, that's what I'm... This is where you want to not think, okay? Actually, what you really want to do is you want to think beforehand, okay? So when you're in the faith zone, you got to eliminate, hear me, all delays and distractions. All delays and distractions. Delays and distractions are defeat, okay? Let me give you an example of this. I remember when I was a kid, I had this one friend who had a swimming pool, and the swimming pool was not heated, it was always freezing cold, and no matter how cold the pool was, my friend would just run and cannonball right into the deep end, and of course, I'd watch that, and I'd be like, yeah, no, thank you, because you know what, I'm, I'm more of like a splish splasher kind of guy, you know what I'm saying? I'm more like the guy that'll put my toe in, the, and then, ooh, and then like, I try to get my whole foot in there, and then I'll, I'll go like this, and trickle a little water down my leg, you know what I'm saying? And then you get the bottom of your, sw- and then there's that first moment where your swimsuit starts absorbing water and it's like, ooh, you know, like, it's just like, and then I take a little water and I trickle it, and I take a little water and I trickle it. I'm trying to get used, to- well, you know what I realized I was doing? I was torturing myself. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? All my friends were already in the pool, already having fun, and I'm still like, <sighs> Okay, listen, it's 10 times harder when you trickle, church, when you dip your toe in. That's not healthy, okay? It's the same thing spiritually. It's the same thing with all of the disciplines of God. When God calls you to obey in some area of your life, you cannot trickle your way into obedience or you will die. You will not make it. You'll sit around and be like, do I feel like working out? Every time you, like nine out of 10 times, you're gonna be like, no, you know what I'm saying? You'll never do it. You, you cannot think, you cannot have delays. And so what I do in any area that God is calling me to change, I predecide everything pre-decide everything. Sit down, write it out. Your plan needs to be so thorough that you do not have to think in the faith zone. And for a lot of us, there's a lot of decisions, there's a lot more decisions to a life change than most people realize, okay? If you're going to eat healthy, then you're going to be like, well, who's doing the grocery shopping? And how am I going to make it? And when am I going to make it? And what am I going to make? And there's a lot of decisions you got to pre-decide. So like even, even for example, if you don't even decide your workout outfit before you work out, that may be all the the, the all, that decision alone may be more than enough for the devil to be like, you don't want to do it. You don't have good workout clothes. <laughs> okay, I don't. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know that sounds so dumb, but you pre-decide everything. Pre-decide where, pre-decide when, pre-decide what. Lock it in. In fact, on my blog, I even have like a process that I do that I go through. Just Google peterhaas.org and then life plan. Life plan at peterhaas.org. And you're gonna have a very, 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 very detailed strategy assessment guide on how to start a habit or how to stop a habit. And a lot of this, it's not merely scripture-based. It is scripture and science-based. And so I, I encourage you, but my point is this. Any decisions or delays in the faith zone equals defeat. The snooze button is a lose button. And you just need to, but, but I love my snooze button. Well, then you better start loving paideia. Okay? Because here's the truth. If we fail to wake up with paideia, God is forced to give us over to a final Greek word. Here's a surprise one for you. And it is a Greek word called akrasia. Akrasia, or a great way to remember it is, you're driving me a crazy, Um, you know. So, because that's what happens. You go crazy, when you fail to learn the other types of, of discipline. And this is a total lack of control that leads to confusion. And I think this describes a lot of Christians. They're confused about God. Who are you? Do you even love me? And, and you know, like their, their, their thought process is all over the place because there's, there's multiple areas in their lives where they've been resisting the disciplines of God, and as a result, they have this weird confusion about themselves and about God and about life and about everything. And actually, what's interesting about akrasia is that those who have it actually start to hate anyone with clarity. Because actually, what akrasia is, is it's a state of mind that God gives us over to when he is forced to in order to, like, in, in, in hopes that our futile thinking will eventually wake us up, okay, before we eternalize ourselves in that decision, okay? So, but the chief sign of acrosia is confusion. Who am I? Who is God? It's futile thinking. It's where, where all of a sudden, you know, we actually resent anyone who gives us clarity. And, and listen to me, loved ones. It doesn't have to be this way. All we have to do is jump in the pool, cannonball, and then wait for the grace to kick in. Yeah, you'll shiver for the first couple seconds, but then all of a sudden, we're good. And that's God's plan. I, I wanna, half the reason why we wanna get you into small groups and onto ministry teams is that we wanna surround you with other people of freedom so that you'll, you'll start acquiring those skills to just, to be impulsive in the faith zone about the good things. And as one last example, I think about one story that I think kind of sums up where maybe some of you might be today is it reminds me of the story of Roger Bannister. He was a teenager who lived during World War II, and he was really big into track and field. And, and um, as an athlete, he set his heart on, uh, uh, on the goal of being the first person to break a four-minute mile. And, of course, at that time, no human had ever publicly run a four-minute mile. Um, and, of course, it had been decades since, since even anyone even attempted it. And even the previous attempts at a four-minute mile failed miserably. And so when Roger Bannister uh, publicly came out with this goal, guess what? It, it, this is kind of an interesting thing because a huge number of people said, you know what, you are a dangerous role model. He actually got a lot of haters. A lot of people felt like, you know what, that is irresponsible that you would even attempt to do that. It's almost like manipulating your body to do unnatural things because you have to understand, in those days, running experts said there were a lot of professional runners who said that is not only physiologically impossible, that is dangerous. And by even saying these things publicly, you are actually causing people to live an unhealthy and dangerous self-destructive lifestyle. He got so much hate from the running community for even saying he wanted to attempt this. One one, uh, newspaper even said anyone, an expert said this in a newspaper, anyone who even tries to do this will grind their body into a pulp and still not come close. And of course, you know, Roger was like, I think that's ridiculous. I think I can be healthy and run this thing. And, uh, and so on May 6, 1954, uh, Roger Bannister made his official attempt to break the four-minute mile. And in some ways, it was probably the worst day ever to even attempt it uh, because it was a super cold, wet, rainy, windy day. And so, you know, 15-mile-an-hour wind And at the track that he was at. And of course a lot of his friends were like, Oh, this is such a bad day to do it, because you know, if when he fails it, all the press is gonna go to his critics. And all of his critics are gonna be like, I told you so, wasn't healthy. And so, you know, they were all so nervous for him, and of course, you know, sure enough, he was, you know, doing the laps and and he's not doing well at all. Um, On his final lap, it was not looking really uh, positive. His previous three laps took him close to 63 seconds. And so in order to break the four-minute barrier, he'd literally have to trim trim off 12 seconds, which is kind of a crazy amount when you're tired with that kind of headwind. And yet, despite all of that, he gave it his all. And of course, what's cool is, his history gives us the picture of him crossing the finish line. He was so exhausted that he actually, the moment he crossed the finish line, he collapsed into the arms of a, a person he didn't even know. And they just laid him on the ground. And of course, everyone was silent because nobody knew if he broke it. You know what I'm saying? And the announcer who uh, did the official timing, he had a loudspeaker. And so everybody was just waiting for the announcement. Just what is he going to say? What is he going to say? And the announcement finally came, ladies and gentlemen, the resulting Time for Roger Bannister today is three minutes, 59.4 seconds. And of course, you know, after the word three, everybody just started shouting. Roger didn't even hear what the time was. He was laying on the ground, just huffing. and uh, But all the cheering made it very clear that he had broken the four-minute mile marker. And uh, here's the crazy thing about it. Once the news spread about him breaking the four-minute barrier, it was in the newspapers and all the magazines all over the world. And suddenly, everyone wanted to try this. This became like the new running craze. It was almost like a psychological barrier had been broken in the running community, and everybody wanted to attempt to break it. Sure enough, 46 days later, an Australian named John Landy did it. Then three years later, the first American, Don Bowden, did it. And then in 1964, the first high schooler did it, a 17-year-old named Jim Ryan. And and ever since then, guess what? There's been over 1,700 people who have officially broken the four-minute barrier. And and actually, that number is twice of what it was even a decade ago. There's about 70 new people that break it every single year. It's a common thing. It's kind of like the new standard for professional athleticism when it comes to running. And here's my point, though. The world is filled with psychological barriers. It's really interesting when people talk about human behavior and we arbitrarily say, now that behavior is changeable, but that behavior is not. That behavior is changeable? Nope, nope, that's not changeable. It's not socially correct anymore to say that that's changeable, but that is, but not that. But that is, but not that. But that is, but not that. You start to see how arbitrary mankind is about psychological barriers, what's possible. And so I just wanna point that out and say, hey, listen, there's some of you, you've got this internal dialogue that says there's no hope for you. And I want you to know that's not God. There's this internal dialogue that says, you know what? You're always gonna feel like you do now, which is not good. And I, I, I want you to know that's not God. That internal dialogue is starting to lead to despair and you're thinking, you know what? My marriage will always feel like this. My job is always gonna feel like a dead-end job. My kids, they're never gonna change. You'll always struggle with fill in the blank. And listen, that dialogue is not the Lord. and Because the world may say to you today that that's not changeable, but God says, is anything too difficult for me, Genesis 18, 14? The world says, hey, listen, you can't reinvent some of those impulses, but God says, he who began a good work in you, Philippians 1.6, will be faithful to complete it. The world says, hold on to what you got. Just It's about preservation, but God says, no, 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 no. A generous person prospers, Proverbs 11.25. Indeed, God even says, test me in this, Malachi 3.10. If you trust me with 10% of your money, see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven on your other 90%. I mean, that's a bold statement. The question is not... Does God have rewards for us? The question is, will we survive the faith zone? Will we make the pre-decisions? Will we get the strategy that God is giving us so that we'll have the desire and the power the moment we start stepping out? And so if that's something you're interested in here, just close your eyes and let's just do a a quick little moment of introspection. God, we just wanna listen to our consciences because you've been telling us different adjustments that would help us take our lives to the next level. And God, we know that none of our circumstances are perfect right now, and yet you have a plan in the midst of those imperfect circumstances to bring us total joy, total peace, total righteousness. And I pray that right now we would have the guts to take on that challenge and surround ourselves with godly people so that we might become the person you want us to be. And maybe you're here and you're new to this whole God thing and and you've never even heard the gospel presented like this, and you're like, you know what? I think it's time for me to press the reset button. If that's you today, then just everybody, we're gonna pray a simple little rededication prayer, and I believe that the power of God is gonna meet you right where you're at. Would you just say this after me? Say, dear Jesus, forgive me, renew me, and lead me starting today and for the rest of my life in Jesus' name name, I pray. Oh, there's power there. Mm. Amen. Amen. We're going to have some fun with this in coming weeks, church. We're going to really go into some really fun areas the next couple weeks. And so I encourage you to keep showing up. With all that said, we're going to have our campus pastors tell us how we're going to finish today. I love you guys. Can't wait to see you next week.